This is Bigger Questions with your host, Robert Martin. Welcome to Bigger Questions, recorded live in Melbourne's CBD. Today's big question, where can I find wisdom? We asked this question today to Andy Judd. Andy is community pastor at City on a Hill, a church in Melbourne's CBD. He enjoys playing music and he's also working on a PhD in biblical interpretation. And he joins me now. Please welcome Andy Judd. Andy, welcome to Bigger Questions. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here. It's great that you're here. Now, Andy, you are talking about wisdom today. Do you think it's wise to do a PhD? Uh, well, that's an interesting question. Um, the person who, one of the people who talked me into doing a PhD sold it to me like this. The more you find out about the infinitely small field of human knowledge which a PhD topic is, the more you realise you know nothing about that, and then therefore you know nothing about any of the knowledge in the world. So it just makes you humble, makes you realise how little you do know. Okay, so the idea of learning lots is actually to realise you actually don't know anything. Absolutely, right. absolutely. Okay. Know nothing. <laughs> Welcome. Well, anyway, well, to kick off bigger questions, we like to ask a couple of smaller questions. We do try to have a bit of fun on the show. Today we're asking Andy Judd about where we can find wisdom. So Andy, I thought we'd test you on how much you know about sources of wisdom. Now, two questions, both multiple choice. Question one. One popular source of wisdom is the advice column. And Dear Abby is a popular US advice column started in 1956, which appears in 1,400 US newspapers with a combined circulation of 110 million people. Now, which of these four letters was not an actual question written to ask Abby? Okay? Okay. There was, was it A, Dear Abby? I joined the Navy to see the world. I've seen it. Now how do I get out? Was it B? Dear Abby, how do you tell your date that they have bad teeth? Is it C? Dear Abby, my son writes that he is taking judo. Why would a boy who was raised in a good Christian home turn against his own? Or was it D? Dear Abby, what can I do about all the sex, nudity, foul language and violence on my VCR? Which of these four letters was not an actual question written to ask Abby? Okay, we're far from the, uh, the biblical studies field of knowledge. <laughs> yeah. I'm feeling out of depth. I'm okay. going go, um, to go to the judo one because it is suspiciously in this area. Okay, uh, well, it's not. I'm oh. sorry. <laughs> not, uh, the answer was actually B about how do you tell your date they have a bad teeth. And that was okay. actually a question written to another advice columnist called Captain Awkward. Okay. And so that was... Uh, now, have you ever thought about starting an advice column? No, although I, I think it'd be interesting to do one where you ask the question as the columnist and everyone else writes in with their ideas. I don't know if that exists already, maybe. Uh, okay, I think it's called a blog. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, so question two. Which politician at a political speech in 2013 proposed a rather unusual source of wisdom? by saying, no one, however smart, however well-educated, however experienced, is the suppository of all wisdom. <laughs> now, who said that? Was it A, Donald Trump, B, Barnaby Joyce, C, Joe Hockey, or D, Tony Abbott? I'm, I'm going to go Barnaby Joyce just based on form. I don't remember who it was. Uh, I, I wouldn't suggest that. Would you, would you try to help our guest pass? So maybe you want to try one of the other oh, ones. Uh, <laughs> maybe in the second half of the list. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, can, I, can I phone a friend or can I ask the crowd? <laughs> the crowd might be able to help you. I'm sure uh, there's someone in the crowd. It's D. Tony, yeah, yeah, D. It is yeah, D. Yes, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. 
So Tony Abbott said this in a Melbourne in 2013 federal election campaign. It was an unfortunate gaffe as it said that Mr Abbott intended to say repository. Repository, that's A place right where word, things yeah. are stored rather than a or suppository. Depo- or depository would but, be okay yeah, too. De- yeah, potentially, yeah. yes, yeah. Uh, anyway, well, Andy, maybe you shouldn't start your own advice, column because you nearly no, got one I'm, of I'm two doing bigger <laughs> questions, right, smaller questions, right? Please give Andy a big hand anyway. Um, Thank you. Now, Andy, there's many sources of wisdom, perhaps not so much in suppositories, but do you think that the popularity of advice columns uh, reveals a yearning for wisdom in our world? Yeah, I think um, life is so uncertain, isn't it? Uh, There's so many big decisions we make every day, things where the answer is not clear, we weren't taught in school. Uh, and then the important things in life, you know, who who to marry, mm-hmm. um, who not to marry. How to handle um, yourself on a date. How to handle yourself on a date. <laughs> yeah. um, what job to take, what career to take, how to speak to someone in a certain situation. And um, they, they don't teach you that in school, um, or at least not in the textbooks in school. So I think there is a great yearning for those important decisions in life. Yeah. Um, and I think that's that comes to the, our topic of wisdom. Yeah. So what exactly is wisdom then? Oh, that's a big question. I mean, someone once said that, um, I don't know who said this, it wasn't Aristotle, I don't think. Um, He said that knowledge is knowing that a tomato is actually a fruit. Wisdom is knowing that you don't put tomato in a fruit salad. Right. That's a Zen moment for sure. That's that's pretty profound. It was Aristotle or Socrates or someone. I think... um, It wasn't Socrates, you don't think. I'll get back to the Bible, which is my area. So the... um, uh, am I allowed one Hebrew word for today? Sure. Okay, Why so chokmah. And chokmah has kind of, it, it's the Hebrew word for, for wisdom. You see it translated in the Bible as wisdom often, but it has kind of two areas which it often speaks. One is the everyday, just knowing how to talk to your boss or knowing uh, how to, you know, when you're on a date, whether to um, tell your, your date that they've got bad teeth. You know, that kind of everyday matters of life wisdom. But it also refers maybe more commonly in the Bible to wisdom with regards to God. So those kind of final existential questions about how to act morally in the world, but also how to have a good relationship uh, with God. And that's hokmah. Um, and it's, I mean, other languages, other cultures have similar words, but it kind of covers what to do in the situation, not just mm. knowledge, not just information, but the questions that Siri can't answer, if right. you like, you know. But how then exactly is wisdom different from knowledge? Well, I mean, knowledge is, is facts about the world, perhaps, true statements, but most of the very important things in life are not true or false. They're, they're wise or foolish. Um, and it's, it's hard to know in a particular situation. I mean, you can, um, you can study all the scales you like, but knowing what note to play in that particular moment uh, requires great maturity and great wisdom and, um, and quite a lot of experience. Well, in fact, in a TED Talk entitled Our Loss of Wisdom, American psychologist Barry Schwartz said, a wise person is like a jazz musician, using the notes on the page but dancing around them, inventing combinations that are appropriate for the situation and the people at hand. So is that a helpful explanation? I'm a jazz of- musician. I love that. That's fantastic. <laughs> okay. yeah, that's excellent. Yeah. yeah, I mean, so the the, um, the Greeks distinguished between these types of knowledge. You had, you know, um, Sophia, right? You're kind of actual fat stuff, with, uh, that kind of knowledge. But then you also had phrenesis, which is like knowing what to do in that circumstance. You know, and that's something that you can't teach in books. Mm. It's, and it's not the same thing as being skilled with your hands or, or, or that kind of... It, it's knowing what to do in that circumstance. And it requires actually moral information as well. And that's mm. something that Siri can't help you with. Mm. You know, Siri has all the world's information. We have more information at our fingertips. I've got a supercomputer in my pocket. Right? I can access the world's information. But knowing what to do, should I take that job? Should I raise that concern about my boss's behaviour? That, that kind of that moral stuff. Should I lie on my timesheets like my boss is telling me to? Um, those kind of questions, those moral but also 
not just moral questions, just what's the best way to act in the circumstance? They're, um, they're things that Siri can't help you with. So where do we get wisdom from? Actually, where we get wisdom from is all sorts of places. Mm-hmm. Um, are, are some sources better than others? Certainly, certainly. Yeah, so where do we get it from? There's different fields of wisdom, aren't there? There's different people that you'd go to for advice on different things. I've got a lot of medical people and lawyers actually in my family. Um, And you want to get the right advice from the right person. You know, there's this thing, the more specialised you are, there's this competence extrapolation that goes on. So uh, a member of my family is a um, a brilliant surgeon. um, And any information you want to know about heart surgery, I'd go to him. Um, But what's kind of, in one field, maybe, you know, someone's got great wisdom. In another field, they might not. And so sometimes it's actually about knowing which wisdom to look for in which space. And it's nothing more embarrassing than when you know, a brilliant surgeon um, presumes to know something about art. You know? And they might. I mean, there's nothing, no rule against them having that knowledge. Um, but I mean, I trained as a lawyer. Lawyers are terrible at this. We think we, we get very, very good at this narrow form of knowledge and wisdom and knowing what to do and how to represent a case very well. But we've got to be very careful uh, the more we specialise to know that there's some things I don't know. A a Dear Motivational poster once said, blogging, never before have so many people with so little to say said so much to so few. So are there limits to these sources of wisdom? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, uh, and this comes back to what we have to be very careful of. The the smarter you are, the more you're likely to extrapolate your um, success in one field into another field. Mm. And I think there are are limits of wisdom. That's something... um, uh, actually, the passage from Ecclesiastes chapter 7, it's actually a um, funny little chapter because it's written in the genre of wisdom literature. So this is kind of like the life hacks advice column of the ancient world. And the, and the persona presenting it is Solomon. But the more you read it, the more you realise that it's actually satirical almost. Because he puts out these kind of, you know, a reputation is a good thing uh, and the day of death better than the day of birth. You're like, hmm, yeah, hang on. That's not true. So he kind of, he kind of undercuts all these... Um, typical bits of advice that would be, not, it's not just biblical literature, it's copied really from all sorts of literature around the world and, and puts it together to show that even Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived in the ancient world, you know, Queen of Sheba came to, on a study tour to sit yeah. with Solomon. Right? And yet, though Solomon was wise in his managing of the affairs of state, um, typically he, he stuffed things up in his personal relationships. Mm. Right? So you can be very wise in one area and then very foolish in another. And that's, that's what Ecclesiastes 7, mm. I think, is about. You have mentioned the Bible, but how could the Bible give us wisdom? I mean, leading atheist Sam Harris writes that the Bible, it seems certain, was the work of sand-strewn men and women who thought the earth was flat and for whom a wheelbarrow would have been a breathtaking example of emerging technology. I mean, surely an ancient book written thousands of years ago by scientifically illiterate people couldn't provide any wisdom for us today. It's quite rude towards people who live in the desert, isn't it, really? <laughs> so I don't know what having sand around you has to do. No, I, look, I, I see what he's getting at, but I think we have to be really careful that we don't have... Um, this view of our culture um, as being the be-all and end-all of knowledge, right? Because we excel in our culture in medical knowledge, we excel in technological knowledge, but you, you want to be slow to then assume that we also have everything there is to know about uh, all the other fields of human um, experience. It's a bit like, um, I kind of liken reading the Bible um, to going on a journey. I mean, it's not my analogy, but it's like going on a journey to a foreign country. And, you know, there's some friends who you just should never take on a trip with you because they're terrible travellers. The instant, this is what I mean, the instant they get off the plane, they're kind of making vast judgments, summary judgments on the culture that you've just arrived in. Oh, this place is stupid. They drive on the wrong side of the road. You know, <laughs> like, just kind of terrible people to travel with because they don't suspend their judgment long enough 
to actually understand the culture they're in. Now, there's things that will, any country you go to, there's, there's things that will strike you as strange, maybe even ridiculous, and you might be right. The problem is you can't tell within the first five seconds of getting off the plane. I think when we read the Bible, uh, with all due respect to Sam Harris, I think he's a terrible travelling companion for reading the Bible because the Bible is a fascinating and complicated book. I've been studying um, the Bible for years of my adult life at tertiary levels. I'm now doing my PhD in it. It's complicated. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's rich. It's an amazing piece of literature. And so we have to be very slow to make, you know, well, that's just stupid. Um, what could someone who doesn't have iTunes possibly tell me about the, the world? I think we have to be very careful to make those judgments quickly. Mm-hmm. Well, as we then think about wisdom in the Bible, maybe you could tell us a little bit about why you think the Bible's worth following. Maybe can you tell us a little bit about what convinced you to yes. become a Christian believer? Uh, well, my, um, my, my story is I actually was raised in a, a, a Christian household. So my, my, both my parents are, are great examples of thoughtful Christian people. Uh, but like anything where you grow up, I mean, there's some things about your parents' uh, views and tastes and habits which you like and some things that you don't, right? So I wouldn't want to unthinkingly accept all my parents' music choices, for instance, <laughs> nor would I want to reject them, right? So there's some brilliant things in my, in my dad's CD library. There's Miles Davis. Any jazz people here? No, that's good. All right? But there's also Kenny G. All right, any jazz people here? No, that's not good. All right, Kenny G was a genius. Yeah, well, okay, we'll, talk, we'll talk about that later. Um, so, you, I mean, growing up, it's not simple. And anyone who's um, got children knows that your children don't automatically accept everything that you think and believe in and like either. So growing up is about working out in what areas are my parents wise and what areas are my parents foolish. And so for me at university, when I arrived, I, I told one of my best friends, by the end of that time, I would either be an atheist or a Christian minister. Right, because so I, 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 why was that? Well, that's a, it seems extreme. And he reminded me of this, actually, um, uh, later on. That I'd forgotten that I'd said it. Um, the reason was, if this book is true, reliable, relevant, beautiful, any of those things, and then I could think of nothing more important or more interesting or relevant for me to learn and to help others to study well. But if it's not, if it's not true... Right, if it's just a good bit of fiction or just an interesting book you know, alongside um, great works of fiction from, from the past, then it's actually quite a misleading book. It's actually quite a dangerous book, and I don't really want to have much to do with it except maybe to um, tear it apart. So for me, it was very important to work out, is this book true? Is it relevant? Is it beautiful? Or is it ugly? Is it immoral? Is it wrong? Uh, and that process at university took a while. Mm-hmm. So how did um, you resolve that dilemma? I think when you're working out if anything's true, you look for maybe three things. Uh, one is the coherence. Does it sit together itself? Right? Is it internally coherent? Um, because if there's massive irreconcilable contradictions in the Bible, then it doesn't bode well uh, for, for it being a, a guide to wisdom. The second, though, I think is what kind of philosophers call the correspondence. Does it actually make sense of the reality that we experience? Uh, and this was a big one for me, actually, um, because nothing that I studied in, in philosophy or in history or in law or English, um, came close to the kind of explanatory power. You know, why is there beauty? As a musician, that was very important to me. Why is there beauty in the universe? As someone studying law, why is there justice? Why is there injustice? Uh, why is there order to creation, to the laws of physics, to those things? I have yet to find a more coherent, satisfactory explanation for those things than the worldview put forward in the Bible. And the third factor, which I guess is the one we often uh, come to last, is just, is it livable? You know, it'd be all very well saying, I think Jesus is a, um, a, a fascinating figure, a true figure, morally upstanding figure, 
but man, his teaching is hard to live. <laughs> you know, then probably, you know, if it just didn't work in, in the 21st century, then we wouldn't really uh, be persisting with it. So those things, the, the coherences that sit together, the correspondence, does it make sense explaining the world and its uh, livability? Does it actually make sense as a way of living? Mm. And on those, I mean, resoundingly, I mean, it, was, it wasn't a done deal by any means. I think there were moments when I thought, no, actually, maybe I'm going to take up the atheist job. I am now an Anglican minister. I don't think anything is worth believing that you haven't spent some time seriously doubting because it's like all the important things in life. It's not straightforward um, today. It's not straightforward, but I I can say that I I have not looked back. So maybe, well, thinking about the Bible, maybe as a source of perhaps even wisdom, um, it does say that it seems to say that wisdom itself is good. For example, it says uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes, the Old Testament book in the Bible, which is described as a wisdom book, it says in 7.11, it says, wisdom like an inheritance is a good thing and benefits those who see the sun. So why is wisdom good? Wisdom there is presented uh, like a like money as something that is a good protection for your, for your life. Mm-hmm. But also like money, it runs out. And um, you could ask Solomon about this, except he's dead. And that's, that's kind of the point, isn't it? Right? He was the wisest man who ever lived, and yet he's dead. So wisdom, though it, it gets us some other way, ultimately has its limit and, and wisdom can't save you from the grave for, for long. I mean, it can for a while. I mean, there's dumb ways to die, uh, as the cheery song puts it. Um, but it, it can't preserve your life forever. Uh, just ask Solomon, except mm. you know, he, he's dead. I think the other thing it, it points out, and it's a beautiful image there, it talks about um, it being like a protection. The, the word there is the same word used in the chapter four for a shadow. Mm. So this is where wisdom is a shelter as, as money is a shelter, but the advantage of knowledge is this, wisdom preserves those who have yeah. it. Money and wisdom are like a shelter or actually like a shadow. Now, the thing about a shadow is it's, it's protective. Right? It's an image of protection from the sun. But the other thing about a shadow is it moves. It's temporary. And so I think the picture that um, the Bible presents in this book of the Bible of wisdom is something that is valuable but temporary, fleeting, limited. And that's, and that's true about all human wisdom, right? It's got limits. It's, it, you know, conventional wisdom gets you so far, but it has it, it limits. It runs out. So even the wisest person is subject to the bias, is subject to error, can fall into the wrong crowd, can be influenced by things other than wisdom. And so we have to be just aware that, even, I mean, better to be wise than a fool, absolutely, but there are limits. Mm. Well, this frustration within the search for wisdom perhaps is found in Ecclesiastes 7.20, a bit further down, where it says, Indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins. So does this kind of human corruption or weakness frustrate the search for wisdom? Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Um, and, and again, this is why we're meant to read this literature through the mouth of Solomon, because he, he failed spectacularly, though he was the wisest person who ever lived. Um, and I think just uh, being aware of the limits of human wisdom is actually the start of um, a search for many, for many people. A bit like um, a PhD, perhaps. Yeah, that's right. I mean, <laughs> literally, but it's, the more you know about one area, the more you realise you don't know. Um, and that's, I don't mean to be all existential and depressed about that. Just be aware that we, there are limits to our, our knowledge. There was um, a reminder of this. There's a, a study in 1972 about um, one of the kind of groundbreaking studies in psychology. And, and as I understand this study, it, it was the first kind of, to use the terminology of cognitive bias, you know, that the idea that you're actually intelligent people like you and I are swayed by things apart from facts and, you know, sensible logic. There was a follow-up study which concluded that even psychologists who study other people's cognitive biases are also swayed by bias. All right, now what are we going to do with that? Because now <laughs> I'm telling you about these studies, about how we're all swayed by biases. I'm biased, but so are you, so we're even. So, yeah, there's this problem of human... I mean, there are better studies and worse studies, obviously. 
there is we we do make progress in in knowledge, and there's dumb dumb things to do and smarter things to do. But we have to just know that all human wisdom is limited by our humanity, mm. uh, and no one can get above that. Can get out of that. So can we be truly wise then? I mean, as the author of, of Ecclesiastes writes in seven twenty three, a bit further on, he says, "All this I tested by wisdom, and I said, I am determined to be wise, but this was beyond me." Hmm. So is true wisdom really beyond our grasp? Yes and no. I think that's I think that's where Ecclesiastes leaves us. Is there? I mean, it's, it's a fascinating equivocal book, isn't it? Because it just ends there and, and says, "Well, wisdom's a bit good, but it's probably mostly beyond us." What are we meant to do with that? <laughs> I think it's important just to know the limits of human wisdom, not to give up on wisdom. Like I don't think everything that's on the internet is equally wise. Listening to people who've done things before is 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 wise, but there are limits to human wisdom, uh, and that's actually I think the beginning of the search for. Uh, a wisdom that's not in our own heads, that a wisdom beyond um, humanity. But you know, I'm a preacher, so of course I'm going to take us there. Yeah, well, we'll go there now. There's this uh, concept of a wisdom beyond us, so to speak, is actually found in the New Testament, which is a part of the Bible written after Jesus. Uh, and in a book there, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the author, who's the Apostle Paul, calls Jesus the wisdom of God. And he goes on to write, It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. So what does it mean that Jesus Christ is wisdom from God? Yeah, the interesting thing about that is most of the people at the time thought Jesus was anything but wise. I think we've lost a little bit of this um, because of where we stand in history. We're kind of post-Christian. Um, and so we, we, we know, of course, Jesus is meant to die. Can I, can I tell you just historically, for the Christ, you know, Jesus claimed to be the Christ, the liberator of Israel, for him to die was not really that kind of clever. By, by human kind of you know, conventional wisdom said, you're not meant to die if you're the Messiah. And one of my favourite historians of the times puts it like this, the reason why you know that someone's not the Messiah is because they die, basically. Right, crucifixion, he says, is the way that people who think that they're the Messiah find out too late that they're not. Mm. There are literally handfuls of hot-headed young Israeli men in this period who thought that they were the Christ, right up until the point where they were executed. And so for, for Christ to die, I mean, that's not part of the job description. You can't liberate Israel when you're dead. Um, and so the whole idea that they were following Jesus after he had died, I mean, most of the, I mean, the followers kind of, of... foolish. It's completely bonkers. You know, that's the Greek. Bonkers. You know, it's, <laughs> it's not, actually. Um, but it's completely <laughs> insane. The Christians, many of them started worshipping Christ after he was killed. Mm. And as a historian, I find like, that just fascinating. Why did they start following him on the wrong side of his death? Uh, it should have stopped. What was it about him that made him the wisdom of God then? If, it was, if you've demonstrated it's kind of, was it, the expectation was that it was foolish, how is it, how is it wise or how is Jesus wise? Yeah, conventional wisdom had a picture of, of what God should be, right? that God should not become a person. And in Jesus, God showed that actually it's absolutely right for God to come to earth. And that's what the Christian doctrine of the incarnation is about. Christmas is scandalous, can I say. I, I once um, met a very devout uh, man of, of a different faith who, who just told me very politely that the whole idea of Christmas, the incarnation, God becoming a man, is complete and utter foolishness. In fact, offensive to God. He said, you know, are you mean to say that God came to earth and, and he could hardly say, and, and pooed? Right? The idea that God would become a human in Greek thought uh, and later in, in um, Islamic thought is completely anathema. In Jewish thought, was not, I mean, the whole idea is completely out of the question, yet God shows in Jesus that he is actually close to us, that he actually loves us that much, that he would become a human way beneath his dignity. 
So how has it impacted your life? What difference has it made? Yeah, good question. Um, lots of different ways. I think the number one way, though, is having a sense of purpose, having a sense of what the world is for. So many other questions presuppose and answer that question. What are we for? What is, what is life for? What is the meaning of life? What is the point of life? Um, and what is good presupposes a sense of purpose. And so I think having that clarity about um, the world that it's made, that it's created, that it has an endpoint in history that it's coming to, I think just changes everything. I mean, a lot of Jesus' advice, by the way, is complete and utter foolishness, unless that's true. People talk to me about, oh, I think Jesus is a very, you know, a, you know, a good teacher. You know, I want to follow some of his, his teachings. I just don't think he's the son of God. Can I say, with all respect, you need to read more of what Jesus says. All right? think, about, think about some of his classic teachings. Give away all your money with no concern for whether you have enough tomorrow. You know, give away all your money. What if you need it later? But you have to trust God, I suppose, don't you? Yeah, so that's, I mean, it's, it's only really is. good advice. This is yeah. what I'm get, kind of getting to. It's only yeah. wisdom. If it's true. If it's true. Mm. Questions come through on our uh, text line here from our live audience. Oh, great. It feels like we're at a turning point in history where humanity's struggles, famine, disease and war are so much less than they have ever been. This is largely due to the wisdom of science. If the Bible is full of wisdom, why didn't it change the world? Oh, wow. Okay. So a few kind of assumptions there that I probably would just want to disagree with, actually. Firstly, the Bible did change the world hugely. We're living in it, and it's hard for us to see. Um, but that's uh, one of the things that historians of the period have to wrestle with. How did this dead Israeli Christ um, change so much of, well, I mean, everything? I mean, it's kind of exploded over the, over the Middle East and into the rest of the world. So firstly, I'll just challenge that. Secondly, I, I think, and, and again, I, I say this just with caution, I think, um, we have to be very careful about views of the world which show just a linear progression of awesomeness. All right? um, you know, everything's getting better all the time, as the song goes. It's just, firstly, it depends a lot where you live in our world. Secondly, um, I mean, I, my specialty is within biblical studies is in German philosophers and what they think about um, the Bible. Uh, the German philosophers thought that everything was getting better all the time, right up until the 20th century, where they realised that you can have the best machines, the best toys, the best guns, and not, in fact, have advanced to the pinnacle of civilization in other areas, say, morally. And if the 20th century has taught us anything, it's that like, technological advancement and moral advancement don't always go together. So, Andy, where can I find wisdom? The Bible. I really, I really do believe that the Bible um, is at least worth putting on your top 10 places to explore you know, in the search for wisdom, right? Um, now, I looked into a lot of other religions, a lot of other philosophies on the way, so I, I, I think it stands up. I think it holds its own. So I would say, um, look broadly, look wisely. But I really do think the Bible is the most coherent, the most beautiful, the most relevant, the most true uh, source of wisdom that we have. Let me leave you with the Bible's reflections on the big question, where can I find wisdom? From Ecclesiastes 7.23. All this I tested by wisdom and I said, I am determined to be wise, but this was beyond me. And also 1 Corinthians 1.30. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. I look forward to you joining us next time for bigger questions. Please thank our guest today, Andy Judd. Thanks for listening to Bigger Questions. 
To help you continue exploring the bigger questions, we've developed a reading guide to accompany this episode called Chasing Life. The guide has further questions, stories and reflections to help you understand the book of Ecclesiastes. To get your own copy or to find out more, check out the Bigger Questions website or contact your local City Bible Forum office. If you've enjoyed the show, why not support it on Patreon? You can help us keep asking bigger questions for as little as $1 a podcast. Support the show. Go to patreon.com slash biggerquestions. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to you joining us next time.